Blog Talk Radio. to the Pagan Musings Podcast. I'm Rev Kess. Kali Sarah's on the line for me. And that was some Elven drums, but I'm trying to remember which one it was. I think that might have been Between the Worlds, <laughs> the instrumental version, uh, Drumming Into the Night is the name of the CD. And yeah, I, I, I honestly could not remember which one that was. Do you have any clue, Sarah? 
Hello. Okay, I'm going to say that uh, Phil has muted himself or otherwise had technical difficulties because I'm not hearing anything from him. Phil? All right, well, uh, welcome to Pagan Musings. This is Kali Sarah, and Phil is somewhere in the ether, and we have our guest Lupa on today. And uh, we're all a little bit punch drunk today. We've been dealing with the uh, unfortunate news and all of the emotional backlash from that. So uh, if, if we seem a little manic, that's why. So hi, Lupa. Hey, how are you doing? Hello? Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. Wow, you can hear me, but Kalisa couldn't hear me. I don't know what's going on. Wow, technology. Okay, we We're lost Kalisa for day. a moment. Yeah, we lost Kalisa for a moment there, but she seems to be back now. And hi, Lupa. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the fun we're having. Oh, yeah. Wait, Good to be here. Are you with us, Kalisa? I don't know anymore. <laughs> but you can hear me now, right? I can hear everybody. All right, cool. I don't know what happened. My page froze. So when I unmuted myself on the screen, I guess I was still muted or something. I don't know. Yay. We'll blame it on the heat. Sure. We'll blame it on the humidity. We'll blame it on the storms that are out towards your direction, Sarah. Blame it on the rain that was softly falling. Blame it on the stars that were shining that night. <laughs> okay, yeah, as you said, Kali's there. We're all a little manic today. Woo. So. <sighs> Love it. Anyways, Lupa, welcome to the show. Good to be here, I think. I think I'm here. <laughs> uh, I hope it's good for you to be here. Um, for those listeners out there that may not be familiar with you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll get going from there? Um, yes, today I'm apparently a figment of everyone's imagination. But uh, every other day of the year, I'm uh, an author, an artist, a uh, naturalist, um, wannabe polymath, and uh, lover of the outdoors. Um, I live in the Pacific Northwest. And I create artwork out of hides and bones, and I write books on nature spirituality. And, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. And you've been on the show, I've lost count of how many times you've been with us. I think this is my fifth time. Fifth time, is it really? Wow. I think I was so, yeah. around four, yeah. so, yeah, five would be about right. <laughs> Oh, wow. Sarah, is that a record so, yeah. for us? I don't think so. We, we've we've had Sean <laughs> on quite a few times, and uh, Merv is right up there in, in numbers, too. And Kedrick is now, too. So, yeah, we've had several yeah. uh, repeat guests, <laughs> but it's always great to have our repeat guests, especially somebody who uh, is as active in what she does as you are, Lupa. Yeah, I kind of don't have much of a choice. It's that whole having to make a living thing, you know? Mm, Yeah, true. Stupid money. Mm Mm-hmm. 
survival. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, it's good to be back, and uh, I'm pretty, you know, it's it's kind of nice to have something to think about about besides the news of the day, which has sort of been taking up, I think, everybody's mind. So um, I think you guys want to talk about uh, nature, spirituality, and other such things today? That was kind of our plan, yes. Okay, I am totally about that. All right, so yeah, you've got uh, a recent book. Is it actually out or is it still pending? Uh, Nature oh, no, Spirituality uh, from the Ground Up. Oh yeah, no, it's been out for it's been out since uh, January, actually. Okay, I can only keep so, up with so many things. <laughs> yep, no, it came out in January, and I'm really happy with it. Uh, it's actually been, it's actually gotten me a lot of. Uh, a lot of positive attention this time around. I mean, I've always gotten some good feedback and so forth from my, my books and all that. But um, this one seems to have especially uh, pinged a lot of radars. Um, this is actually like the, I think, I think like at least a dozen. Is dozen the word? Um, it 12, is I now. Guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like the 12th or 13th uh, podcast I've done just, you know, since the book came out, it's had this flurry of uh, podcasts and other interviews surrounding it. Mm-hmm. So I've been, it's been, it's been a bit of a, a crazy ride this year. 2016 has been like this big mess of really great things and really not so great things happening. Um, and that's been one of the good things is all the, all the good stuff coming out of the, the book coming out and so forth. So so yeah, it's out. It exists. Yay. <laughs> what is it about though? Um, well, it is about nature spirituality. It does what it says on the tin. And um basically so I've been I've been writing about uh my relationship with various nature totems for the last I guess decade now. It's been ten years this past April since my first book came out. And um, I started out writing primarily on animal totems um, because I had a lot of experience with them. And, uh, you know, they're they're, they're kind of the most accessible group of of totems because we ourselves are animals. And so we feel more comfortable connecting with beings that are more like us. And... uh, so it just feels more natural to a lot of people to to start working with the animals. And so it's a lot easier for us to relate to other animals than to say plants. It's harder for us to think like the plants and to, you know, think like the animals. So um, I did that for a number of years. And then when I moved to the Northwest, uh, the I had a bunch of the totems that are, you know, native to this area uh, basically grab my attention, say, hey, you know, we really want to work with you, but we also really want you to work with the rest of our ecosystem, like, you know, the plants, the fungi, the landforms, the physical forces of nature, all of them have totems, and we want you to work with the entire ecosystem, not just with us. And so I started exploring that. And... uh it uh, just kind of blossomed into 
a much more robust practice than it had been. And so uh, this is actually my third book with Llewellyn. It's not my third book ever, but it's my third book with Llewellyn Publications. And um, my first one, uh, New Paths to Animal Totems, came out in 2012. And, of course, that was at the animals. And then uh, I had last year uh, Plant and Fungus Totems came out, um, which, of course, that's self-explanatory. And then Nature Spirituality from the Ground Up basically goes into the entire totemic ecosystem. So not only am I talking about the animals, the plants, and the fungi, but I'm also talking, like I said, about the minerals and the waterways and the totems of things like gravity and, and so forth. And it basically is nature spirituality from the ground up. I'm, I'm talking about how to connect with uh, the totems and ecosystem all the way from the geology to the uh, climate and, and so forth. So it's, it's, it's a more whole look than just, you know, disembodied animal spirits floating around our heads. That sounds like a good way to sum it up, wouldn't you say, Sarah? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that uh, trees get ignored. Hmm? Trees totally get ignored. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's, well, part of the problem is that we're, there's a really awesome concept uh, that came out of my work with, um, Eco-psychology, which is the psychology of how we relate to the rest of uh, the rest of nature, and um, this concept is called plant blindness, and it's this idea that um, we don't see plants as part as active parts of the ecosystem; we just see them as background scenery to the animals, and nothing could be further from the truth. You know, we have all these different life forms interacting actively interacting in their ecosystem and just because the plants and the fungi aren't moving around doesn't mean that they aren't active participants in the ecosystem mhm well i mean the thing and, is oh, sorry um when when you start looking at a, a place that's essentially barren, the first thing you have to do is bring in um, mosses and fungi and then plants, and each one of those contributes a little bit more to the ecosystem until it can be habitable by animals. Mhm. Yeah, and it's it, you know it, it it takes a lot it takes a lot more than just you know the animals to make the ecosystem whole again. But I think we also have to be careful not to see uh, the plants and so forth as being just a support system for animals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this idea that I, I remember back when I was in elementary school and learning about the sciences, um, it was this very sort of hierarchical look at the various beings in nature. So, um you know, first we learn about the bacteria, and then we learn about how the single-celled beings became, you know, plants and fungi, and then the animals appeared, and then, you know, first you had tenual single-celled animals, and then you had the first uh, multicellular animals, and then, you know, invertebrates, 
and then the fi- first fish, and then the fish gave rise to the reptile or the, the amphibians. The amphibians gave rise to the reptiles. The reptiles gave rise to, you know, the birds and the mammals, and you know, because mammals were a little, you know, supposedly a little bit newer, even though now we know that birds evolved a little bit later than the first mammals. Mm-hmm. But there's this whole idea that you know, mammals were the supreme form of life on earth and it was just this very linear trajectory that life was supposed to be making starting with you know the little unicellular beings and it really it really doesn't work that way i mean if you look at if you look at evolution and what it is supposed to accomplish all it really does is um perpetuate life regardless of the conditions on the planet. You know, it's not mm-hmm. a matter of, well, the, the beings that happen later are automatically better than the ones that were earlier. No, it's a matter of how does life adjust itself to the ever-changing geological and climatic and other uh, non-biological forces on planet Earth. So mm-hmm. we are we are no more successful than any other species alive at this time. Um, mm-hmm. We've all basically managed to make it to this point, and we wouldn't have been able to survive, for example. Um, you know, during the Ordovician period, you know, there just wouldn't have been a place for us. Um, we would probably would have had a much tougher time, um, you know, during the Carboniferous or the Cretaceous or any other time when, um, you know, either atmospheric conditions were different or, or the, you know, mean temperature was different or geological things were different. You know, we are kind of in a nice little nestled bit of quiet time on the planet we, we kind of forget that so my spirituality really tends to go back to science a lot um mm-hmm. and so my attitude toward this whole thing isn't you know humans are the greatest beings ever and the other animals just exist to you know make us even better than we are i, I see us as being part of a community and uh you know trying to reclaim our place in the community rather than seeing ourselves as separate from it Right. Well, yeah, and, you know, it's like even just knowing about the cycles of of uh, volcanoes and magma and, and how that works mm-hmm. is awesome. There's, um, I don't think it was Cosmos, but there there was an episode, my kids are absolutely enthralled with, with science shows on Netflix, and there was one that mm-hmm. explained the cycle of the Hawaiian Islands. Mm-hmm. And apparently there is a huge cycle there and it's like it, it feeds into the ring of fire and it creates certain tides for, you know, whales to migrate and everything like that. And just knowing that it's like, wow, um, volcanoes, dude, mm-hmm. you know, it's, they, they have their own cycles. They're, they're incredibly huge cycles that we can barely grasp, but they're still there. Yeah, and you can basically, if you look 
back throughout the history of this planet, there's really nothing special about us, you know, mm-hmm. or the time we live at. You know, this is not some amazingly preordained, you know, age of Aquarius or whatever where, you know, everything's going to suddenly become peaceful and, and happy and everything. Or may, maybe on a microcosmic human level we can try and, you know, be less jerks to each other. But there's always going to be, you know, natural disasters. There's always going to be challenges to our survival and so forth. And the best thing we can do is just accept that and be, you know, do what we've always done best as a species and be adaptable. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, remember that, you know, we too are mortal, you know? Yeah. It's like that uh, favorite cartoon of mine of, um, the the human apologizing to Gaia for you know destroying them and Gaia's like oh you pathetic little thing <laughs> you're mm-hmm. not destroying me you're destroying yourself and nobody's gonna miss you yeah yeah I've seen that one I've seen that so yeah uh, we yeah. we tend to really we tend to really anthropomorphize and anthrop- make, make things really human centered. And even even in in you know pagan spirituality, we tend to be really really all about us in a lot of ways. And so a lot of my sort of you know voice crying in the wilderness thing has been me trying to you know remind people that we're not all that great and but you know we're, we're pretty fascinating creatures, but we're one of a whole bunch of fascinating creatures. And if you're going to practice nature spirituality, don't just make it about you. Make it about all of nature, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't forget, grass stains are the bloods of, blood of your enemies, and the smell of freshly mown grass is the screams of, of your your fallen. Mm-hmm. But only if you mm-hmm. live in suburbia. Hmm. So yeah, I, I could rant about that for ages. Yeah. Well, nobody's stopping you. <laughs> no, I was wondering if you guys had any other questions or thoughts or, you know, any particular directions you want to go in, because otherwise I'll just ramble on, you know, till tomorrow. Well, like we did say to other guests recently, there's a reason why we're called Pagan Musings. <laughs> so if you want to rant and all that, go right on ahead and you know ramble along. I'm uh, actually pulling up uh, your website right now that has a description of the book uh, to refresh my memory uh, about the content since I haven't actually had the opportunity to read the book itself. And one thing that I must say that I always have appreciated about the books that you've written on these topics is that you include a glossary and a bibliography. Yeah, it was kind of necessary just because I tend to be fairly omnivorous in my use of language. And so it kind of helps people not only when I start bringing out weird technical terms, but also because... um, you know, even terms that people may think are standard really have several different definitions. I mean, the, the whole concept of a totem, you know, yes, traditionally the term 
has referred to uh well originally it was from the uh the Ojibwa uh people of um you know North America of, of you know the United States um before it was the United States you know indigenous culture um from North America and then the term sort of got co-opted by anthropologists to describe similar systems of animals and other beings uh, as either symbolic beings or archetypes or, you know, guardians of a particular group of people. Um, Because there are totemic systems uh, in cultures worldwide. And that was just the term that, that got sort of, grabbed as the general uh, descriptor, um, for better or for worse. And so what you get a lot in uh, modern paganism is this idea, oh, a totem is an individual spirit that, you know, is your your personal guardian and teacher and and blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, it can be anything from oh, my totem is the eagle, all the way up to my totem is Fluffy the white wolf, you know. And so we've got several different definitions floating around, and there's my definition, which is basically um, a totem being an archetypal being that embodies all of the given qualities of a particular species. Um more than just a single spirit, but dependent on a particular species as opposed to, you know, spider. Because there are many, 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 many species of spider. And they're, you know, they have different behaviors, they have different habits, they have different habitats and so forth. And so different things to be learned if they're willing to, you know, work with me. So... Um, that's part of why I throw the glossary in there is, is just to give people even more of an idea of what it is I'm talking about. And especially with my newer works, I'm trying to write for a more general audience. So yes, I'm writing to the people who have been reading my stuff for a while. I'm writing to people who already kind of know the basics of things like totemism and spirits and so forth. But I'm also writing to people who have never heard of these things. And it's, it's been a bit of a a creative challenge being able to address all of these uh, as opposed to only writing for people who already have the basics down or only writing for beginners. Well, it's good to know your audience and it sounds like you do, but it's also good that you're able to uh, write it in a way that, just about anybody can understand. You know, flipping back to the glossary helps. I do that quite often uh, when I'm reading a book on a topic that I'm not all that familiar with. But uh, when you were describing the differences in how some people view the idea of totems, Mm -hmm. what I kept thinking of is, okay, you may have a personal spirit guide that Mm -hmm. is an eagle but you only know that guide as an eagle. Mm -hmm. You don't know uh, its name or anything like that. So some people with that in mind may look at it as the eagle in general is their totem. Mm -hmm. And like, like I'm trying to say here, there's a little bit of a difference between a totem and a spirit guide. 
that not everybody yeah. gets. Yeah. And, and the only way that I can really think of to describe it is totems just feel more powerful and, and bigger and more energetic. Um, you know, it's like, it's like mistaking, you know, you wouldn't mistake a mouse for a grizzly bear. Um, it, it just, you know, it, part one of the challenges, of course, again, is, you know, having to try to describe this, you know, I've been, I've been practicing primarily based on my own experiences. You know, I didn't have teachers teaching me all this stuff. Um, so I've been having to, you know, kind of figure it out on my own. And sometimes it's really one of the big challenges of, of trying to talk to a more beginning audience is trying to explain the basics of things like, well, how do you sense totems? How do you talk to them? How do you talk to spirits? What's the difference? And so the thing that I've come come with into is this idea that, you know, I just perceive the totems as being, quote, unquote, larger entities, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Um, you know, I, I have uh, affinities for certain animals and some of the characteristics of them are certain plants even. Uh, there, there's a, a tree in the front yard of my building that I actually talk to on a regular basis, mm-hmm. as well as the squirrels that run around in it and, and the birds and what have you. But the tree in particular, you know, I, I'm uh, saddened when a storm comes through and breaks a branch mm-hmm. uh, that is a perfectly healthy branch. Uh, you know, I, I'm gladdened when uh, the dead limbs fall down so that the uh, new growth can continue. Uh, mm-hmm. with less hindrance and all that. So, you know, I've developed over the last decade a bit of a relationship with the tree. What kind of tree it is, I couldn't tell you. I'm not mm-hmm. that great with plants. Uh, when it comes to house plants, I have a black thumb, not a green thumb. So, you know, I, I, I talk to them. I take care of them when I can. You know, I, I, I'm one of the tenants in my building, one of the few that uh, cleans up the yard. And mm-hmm. I do appreciate mm-hmm. that my landlady doesn't chemically treat the yard. Uh, and I do also understand that due to certain, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, laws is not the exact word, but it's close enough. Uh, in the city that she's required to mow it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm always sad when she does, and you know, there goes all the clover flowers or all the other wild flowers that are in the yard. Mm-hmm. But you know, I may live almost in the heart of the capital city here in Nebraska, mm-hmm. but I still try to maintain some closeness to to nature, to the wildlife, uh, the flora, the fauna that are around me. Uh, recently uh, at work due to uh, damage to the foundation of the building as well as the sewer line, we had to remove a very old tree. At least for Lincoln, it was a very old tree. It was over 100 years old. I didn't count the rings, but I I could feel that it was over 100 years old. Uh, And it was, you know, 20 yards from where I grew up as a teenager. Mm. So I knew that tree. And, you know, I, I went out and communed with the tree on my own. You know, nobody knew what I was doing. They just thought I was outside wandering around aimlessly like I sometimes do. 
Mm-hmm. But I was communing with the tree and, uh, you know, apologizing to it that uh, you know, we were being forced to do this. And uh, it still saddens me every time I go out there and, and see where the stump was. Because yeah. they also had to remove the stump and as much of the root system as they could. But yeah, it was a very mm-hmm. sad day when that was cut down. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a whole different level of thing um the the you know there's the you know it's like um i can feel a closeness to you know a neighbor because i like being around them and they're cool people but that doesn't necessarily have to be any kind of like amazing spiritual connection um, and I think it's kind of a, again, that sort of anthropocentrism that whenever we feel uh, comfortable with or some affinity with some kind of non-human being, that it automatically must be some kind of amazing, spiritual, meaningful experience. And, you know, that, that must be our totem, blah, 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 blah. No, it might just be that, you know, you happen to have a really good relationship with that particular tree and you know, you, it's, it's, you know, familiarity creates that sort of connection, you know, just like anybody else that you're around. It just that, that somebody happens to not be human. You know, I don't have some amazing spiritual connection with the archetype of, of postal carrier just because I like to chat with the person who brings me my mail every day. Um, We just happen to, you know, they happen to be a chatty person and so am I. And so, you know, we like to talk to each other sometimes, but that's all it is. And I think we sometimes forget that we can have that with other beings and it doesn't have to be some huge, amazing, you know, spiritual thing. It can just be, you know, Hey, I have a neighbor that I like to hang out with and they happen to be a tree. You know? Oh yeah, I, I definitely know what you mean there. Uh, it's it's a different relationship than I have with the uh, felines that live with me. Mhm. Uh, you know the saying, "You don't own a cat; the cat owns you." Well, mm-hmm. that that definitely seems to be true because mm. I'm being glared at right now because I'm talking about her. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. But, uh, you know, the kind of relationship that I have with the cats that are uh, in my home with uh, Mistress Freya and Misty Avalon is uh, mm-hmm. totally different than the relationship that I have with, you know, the neighbor's cat or the uh, the alley cat that wanders around sometimes. You know, it, it, it's I love cats. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about that. But how I respond to their attempts to communicate with me as well as how they Mm -hmm. respond to my attempts to communicate with them. It's different with the cats in my home as opposed to the cats that aren't. Mm -hmm. I think that speaks very strongly to the lack of language and concepts for acknowledging the closeness we can feel with non-human beings. Um, you know, there's all this research now showing all these therapeutic benefits of things like 
you know, equine therapy and, you know, the, the, the healing power of pets and, uh, you know, even having, you know, an aquarium full of fish can do things like lower your blood pressure. And, you know, further out, you know, if we go outside, again, we're, we're seeing, we're experiencing lower blood pressure. We're experiencing a lower heart rate. We're having all these other like positive physical effects of being around and and, and psychological effects too, of being around non-human beings. And, you know, it's only been really in the last couple of decades that's become acceptable to openly mourn uh, if you're older than like the age of 10, the loss of any pet. Um, never mind acknowledging, you know, the loss of a wild animal or the loss of an entire habitat or ecosystem. Uh, we just haven't had a place to, to talk about that in this culture in the same way that, you know, we have sort of a place to talk about the loss of, you know, another human being. Um, we're, we're kind of lacking in compassionate space in that regard. And so I think this whole trying to couch the connections we have with other beings in sort of special terms, and I say special in quotes, um, is kind of a sad reflection on the fact that we see it as we still see it in a lot of ways as, as being unusual rather than just being a normal part of the human existence you know we evolved in wild areas we didn't evolve in boxes we didn't evolve in places with paved roads we evolved on savannas and in forests and then later we adapted to you know other habitats and so it's just natural and normal for us to be aware of and feel some connection to the other beings in that ecosystem because we're all in it together one way or another. We might be eating some of those other beings, but we still appreciate them. And uh, again, we've just gotten so human centric in all of our stuff that it, it, you know, we have to, we, we have to make a, we feel like we have to make a special place to acknowledge any connection with any being that is not a human being and more specifically, a human being who is not related to us, married to us, or, you know, one of our best friends. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kelly, Sarah, do you have any comments on what we've been talking about? I wonder if Phil got muted again. But anyways, um, yeah, you know, and I agree. Hello? Hello, can you hear me? I'm here. Am I? Is it just the two of us? Uh, apparently it is. I think Holly Sarah dropped again, uh, which was funny. She couldn't hear me, but mm-hmm. I could hear her, and then she went, bloop. Oh, oops. So are you hanging oh. in there, Holly Sarah? Yeah. She's back. I guess it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But, Can you uh, hear us both, Lupa? Hmm? Can you hear us both? Well, oh, yeah. I can hear you both now. 
Anyway, okay. you're asking you're asking Kelly Sarah her idea her ideas on this whole thing since we've been blabbing yeah, a while. Yeah, do you have any thoughts, Kelly Sarah, of what we had just been talking about? Well, and you know, to a certain extent, I I think that we have the same problem with you know just plain human interactions. We don't mm-hmm. have enough variation. You know, it's like we have we have family, we have friends, we have kin, we have loved ones, but. You know, they're they're like there are people who I consider friends, but only at work. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I I wouldn't like go over to their house later on or something, but we're friends at work. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. there's no word for that. <laughs> you know, it's like if if they if they were throwing like you know a birthday party or something, I would probably go to it. But you know, we're not going to go hang out on on the weekends or something. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it, that's a weird place, and. You know, so I, I I can see how you know we we could we can have those those different variations not just with with human interactions but also with you know other interactions in some ways you know I I have a, a definite love hate relationship being in Nebraska with the wind I love the wind mm-hmm. like today when it is cooling and refreshing but if I'm bicycling up a slight incline and I'm facing into the wind I hate it. Mm-hmm. So, you, but you know, you you have these these relationships with these things that, you know, I I don't think that a lot of people even realize how much of a relationship they have with some of these things, you know, like especially in in places where you get a lot of really interesting and even extreme weather, you know, you've got people who, who will stand outside and, and cuss tornadoes out while they're you know, bearing down upon them. You you have people who flip off the sun because it's too dang hot out. You, you know, people, people interact with these, these uh, weather and, you know, even like um, the, like you were saying, geological, characteristics, um, plants, animals, we talk to them. Even non-pagans talk to them. And, you know, we, I I guess that kind of uh, goes into my very subtle but distinct belief that we don't really have much difference between the sacred and profane because they just kind of mingle that and humans like to talk to things. Mhm. Okay, just because I yell at the register at work three, four times an hour. Hmm. <laughs> but do you threaten to throw it out the window? Because that always works. A few times, believe it or not, it does work. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to go grab that hammer from that construction worker over there if you don't start cooperating, and bloop, it does. Hmm. Yeah. But that goes on a whole different tangent. My store has something non-corporeal in it. It's in one of the oldest neighborhoods in Lincoln that has a really long and interesting history. And it's just, I know it's there. It knows I know it's there. And we just get along most of the Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. So... 
I'm kind of wondering, um, I don't know, what what's your guy I, I kind of I'm kind of like frustrated with the I here here's here's something that uh you know we'll probably get some uh you know controversy going. Um did you guys read my blog post uh about uh pagans abusing science? No, I didn't see that. I I saw it but I was at work and missed it when I came back, but I am pulling it up right now. Yeah, um, it was basically one of the most viewed blog posts I've ever had. Um, I'm actually not surprised by this. Um, It's apparently a topic that's got a lot of people thinking about it. So, yeah, basically the short version is I I went on one of my rants, as I do, um, about uh, basically how pagans have a tendency to not not all of us obviously but there's a there's a strong tendency among the pagan community the new age community etc cetera, etc cetera, to either ignore or misuse scientific findings in order to sort of um justify some of our beliefs and uh, a good example being um Actually, the thing that kind of tipped it, got me, uh, you know, got me mad enough to to write it was, um, so on Tumblr, and and anything that starts on Tumblr, you know, is going to be good. Um, (laughs) Over on Tumblr, uh, somebody was basically trying to explain that the energy of crystals can be explained with uh, piezoelectricity, P-I-E-Z-O electricity. And I had no idea what the hell piezoelectricity was, but I'm like, okay, I want to see why this person is trying to justify it with science. And so I, it about, after about two minutes of Googling, I basically determined that what piezoelectricity is, it's the thing that makes quartz watches work. What happens is... Um, there are certain substances in the world, quartz, bone, uh, I forget what else. Um, and when you apply pressure to them, uh, either through a strike or a squeeze, it emits a tiny amount of electricity. It takes that electricity, uh, it takes that energy from the squeeze and turns it into electricity. And conversely, if you apply electricity to these uh, substances, they create a vibration. And that's basically how a quartz uh, watch works. The battery emits a teensy little bit of electricity um, every second, and that makes the quartz vibrate at a very specific rate, and the quartz vibrating makes the second hand go click. And so that's all great in theory. You know, yay, quartz crystals have, uh, have piezoelectricity. However, um, she then basically, in the space of about two sentences, uh, made the gigantic assumptive leap that piezoelectricity 
which has to have a particular mechanism to, to even exist, is the same energy that basically says, oh, a rose quartz is full of love energy or, you know, an amethyst is full of healing or, quartz, you know, clear quartz is the universal energy that can be put to any, you know, blood, you know all the stuff that people say about crystals and healing and all that. And, you know, if you want to believe that, you know, the crystals have energy, that's fine, you know energy the, the the energy theory of magic is one of several theories of magic etc cetera, etc cetera. however i was incensed that this person basically took a known scientific phenomenon a a phenomenon of physics um and basically bastardized it to try and prove something that has nothing to do with the original concept. And it's just one of several examples that I've seen come up over the years of people doing that. And it's just, it's frustrating because yeah, sometimes it's something as harmless as, you know, oh, I believe that my cold will, you know, clear up quicker if I carry this crystal with me. You know, nobody, that's not going to hurt anybody. But then you, you, you get people who are, you know, you get the far, the far end of, you know, pseudoscience replacing science, and you end up with, you know, people who believe that, you know, a particular animal is their totem, and that animal walks up to them, oh, it must be my totem coming to talk to me. No, that animal has rabies. Um, That is is not your totem. That That is dangerous. Do not touch it. Do not pet it. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200, et cetera, et cetera. Um, My totem is a wolverine. uh Uh-huh. Good luck with that. Yeah. You know, and, and furthermore, it just it just makes us it makes us as a group look ignorant. You know, we already have enough trouble being taken seriously by the rest of, you know, at least, at least the United States. You know, the whole all this, the, the the whole idea of, of spells and and curses and things like that. You know, there are a lot of people who just don't take us seriously because we believe in those things, and that's you know that's their short-sightedness of, of, you know, not allowing us our beliefs. But at the same time, um, you know, we tend to get pissy with people who claim that um, their religion supersedes science when they say things like, you know, we can pray the gay away. Um you know, I, I know a lot of pagans who are really, really angry about the whole this whole conversion therapy thing. I'm I'm one of them. You know, these these poor kids get uh, sent to these gay conversion camps. You know, to apparently ab- try and abuse the homosexuality out of them. And when asked about it, the parents who sent them there basically, and you know, and the people who run the camps say, well, you know, my religion says that that with enough discipline and prayer, we can make you stop being gay. When science says, you know, hey, being gay is perfectly normal and natural. There are plenty of species that have homosexuality and, and bisexuality and all that. And that's totally okay. 
stop messing with your kids, they're fine. And that makes, you know, those particular religions look worse because some of their members support that sort of bigotry. And I think it looks really bad, especially to a newer set of religions like neo-paganism, when we have a bunch of science denialism in our ranks, especially for things that are really, you know, we're in the land of the Internet. Like I said, it took me two minutes to figure out what, what piezoelectricity was and to know that it has nothing to do with crystal healing. And it, it just, you know, same thing as, you know, oh, you know, my my coven, uh, there's, there's 13 of us. And so we all did the same, the same spell on the same night. And we all got sort of kind of the same results. You know, we did a money spell. And, you know, this person found a $5 bill. That person got, you know, the tax return that day instead of, you know, the next day. Um, you know, this person uh, found $20 in their purse that they hadn't realized, you know, things like that, little, just, you know, coincidences that could have happened anyway. And that must mean that magic is real because we did, you know, a formal experiment. We did research. And I, it just makes me... It makes me just want to bang my head against the desk a few times and then make them sit down and instead of doing another quote-unquote experiment, um, make them review the basis of the scientific method and how it actually works. Um, Because it does have an effect on the community. It does have an effect on how people see us and how seriously they take us. And it also has an effect on you know, people's acceptance of other forms of pseudoscience. You know, when people see when people see the support of one kind of pseudoscience, they're often more likely to support other forms of pseudoscience, including ones that can be more harmful. Um, you know. Anyway, I'm 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 going off on my rant. So that that was basically in probably more words than my initial blog post what the blog post was about. <laughs> and ironically, I was pretty much reading along with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I remember seeing uh, the post, uh, what, about 20 days ago now, about two, mm-hmm. three weeks ago. <clears throat> but like I said, I was at work. When it came across my feed, I just went, oh, okay, let's clear clear the, the notifications off my phone to conserve battery power. Ooh, Lupa made an interesting post. I wonder if Sarah will see that. Get home mm-hmm. and what was I supposed to tag Sarah in? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Sarah. <laughs> Who we lost again. Like I said, she's got some storms out her direction. So they yeah. could be wreaking havoc with the uh, the connection for, but um, yeah, um, there's okay. Let me see if I can phrase this the way that I'm meaning it. Okay. There is a noticeable history, if you will, of 
you know, yesterday's magic is today's science. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is those things that were not understood by your everyday Joe Schmo or Jane Schmo for that matter, uh, to be actual, you know, scientific fact were believed to be magic. You know, uh, some of the early, um, physicians who, whoa, they were kind of crazy. I think, uh, what they were doing was considered to be, you know, magic or necromancy or something along those lines. And it was always suspect until, whoa, Hey, suddenly somebody developed something, you know, some method or treatment that cured an illness. Mm -hmm. And was able to repeat that over and over again, and it became, you know, basically medical science. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that was, you know, yesterday's magic becoming today's science. And there are people that are hoping, and I see this in the pagan community, that there are people that are hoping that what people see today as magic will be proven sometime in the future to be of scientific basis. So Mm -hmm. they're jumping to these conclusions. Uh, sorry for that. That was a text message on my phone. Wow, that was loud. Uh, so they jump to conclusions like you described in your blog post and like you were describing just now, where A proves B, thus, uh, you know, okay, A proves B, B is connected, at least in our minds, to C, thus A proves C, where C is mm-hmm. that magical phenomena, whatever that may mm-hmm. be, be it the uh, um, piezoelectric uh, current or what have you, and A is not even related to C, so it's like, how can A prove C? Uh, like your example in your blog of uh, when you worked in a biomedical lab, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you were to put a, uh, a, a few drops of a urine sample in a petri dish, and that person had a urinary tract infection, and the uh, petri dish was maintained at a constant temperature of uh, 98.6, which is the average human body temperature. For anybody who doesn't know, which most of you do, I know I'm sorry if I sound like I'm talking down to any of you, um, that over a course of you know several hours, there's going to be visible colonies of the bacteria that cause that tract infection. Okay, A is connected to B, or A proves B. Okay, this per- actually, in this case, B proved A. The bacteria proved this person had a urinary tract infection. That doesn't mean that that bacteria is going to suddenly, you know, develop some kind of consciousness and worship the lab tech as God. Mm-hmm. Sarah, did you ever have an experience like that when you worked in a lab? Were you worshipped well, as a goddess? Well, I worship. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that. Yes, yes, I was. <laughs> I was more circumstantial than than you, you might be talking about, though. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't the bacteria, although mm-hmm. some of my coworkers come pretty close. Or your but, no, no. See, I enjoy I enjoy speculation. I enjoy saying, "Hey, look at what happened here. Wouldn't it be cool if this was connected to this?" But you know, those are those are strictly philosophical meanderings on my part, mm-hmm. and it's it's not like I'm going to go around saying that you know, well, obviously it proves this, and, and we should live our lives as though it did. Well, no, mm-hmm. science can disprove just as well as it can prove. Actually, it does a better job disproving, but you know, whatever. 
we our, our beliefs can definitely be backed by science. But if science does not actually back our beliefs, we should not declare our beliefs backed by science. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I the, the, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say the fact that scientists aren't perfect is not reason to completely dismiss science, especially if it's not telling you what you want it to tell you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. yes, science is, is created by human beings. Human beings are flawed. Human beings have biases. There's plenty of examples of people manipulating the data to get their own bias and, you know, studies not getting published because they would go against, you know, the the status quo, et cetera, et cetera. There's plenty of examples of that. However, um, that does not mean that the things that we have basically learned to be true um, are suddenly negated. Um, mm-hmm. You know, having having cigarette companies squelch uh, research showing that cigarettes cause cancer um, is not the same as there's some big conspiracy uh, hiding the truth of psychic phenomena like, you know, telepathy and so forth. Um, For one thing, because there's nowhere near as much of a financial incentive to do so. And even without those studies, doctors have seen for many, many, many years a clear connection between smoking and various forms of lung and throat cancer. Um, so it's only so long that that, that that kind of thing can be hidden. Um, one of the one of the things that I, I tend to get sort of questioned about now and then is this whole concept of physical shape shifting, the idea that a human being can somehow physically change their form completely into that of another animal and you know yeah it's kind of, it's, it's a cool idea and it would be great if it could actually happen um you know there's a lot of myths and stories about uh you know people turning into animals and animals turning into people and 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 so forth and they're, they they make for wonderful origin myths and you know descriptions of our connections with other beings and allegories of, you know, kinship and, and taking on the, the, you know, attributes of animals. Um, but if you have any knowledge of the basics of, for example, uh, cellular division, um, you know, just the sheer physical logistics of a person's body completely reassembling itself on a cellular level, the energy that would be consumed 
mm-hmm. you know, that would be produ- that would be produced by the process of all that cellular division and shifting of DNA and so forth would completely burn the person up. Never mind, they wouldn't have the energy to do that. The closest thing we have to an example of physical shape shifting is when a caterpillar creates a chrysalis and then turns into DNA soup for a couple of weeks and mm-hmm. reforms as a butterfly. And that's a pretty mind-blowing thing once you look at the process, but it's not an instantaneous change into another right. being. And and no number of cultural myths and werewolf stories and so forth is going to change the fact that a person literally, it would violate so many laws of, of physics, um, thermodynamics, uh, biology, etc., that we know to be true without a doubt. Um, it just, you know, it, it, it can't happen. And what drives me crazy is when people still say, oh, but, you know, I bet it's happening, you know, out in the woods somewhere and, you know, or maybe there's a government conspiracy to cover it up and, you know, then we end up with novels about CIA werewolves and things like that. Um, now, it's, you're going you're gonna to love this. I actually have mm-hmm. a, a novel that's science fiction where one mm-hmm. of the characters can shapeshift, mm-hmm. and it's actually an offshoot of telekinesis, and she can't use it very often because she ends up consuming so many calories afterwards. Mm-hmm. And if she, stress, if she strains herself too much, she will actually go into metabolic shock. Mm-hmm. Because you're right. I mean, it, it, it is just the rearranging of nerve endings in mm-hmm. order to, to stay functional is completely mm-hmm. mind-boggling. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, never mind the, you know. Reshaping uh, of bone and muscle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even an animal that's, that's kind of sort of close to us, you know, let's say we wanted to shapeshift into a chimpanzee, mm-hmm. you know. You you already have the obvious automatic difference of uh, brain casing size. Mm-hmm. Never mind um, muscle density. Chimps are much much stronger beings. Um, mm-hmm. They're not bipedal. Um, you know their uh, entire uh, entire form of locomotion is different, et cetera. And and yeah, mm-hmm. it, it just you know they're our closest living relative, and you know just the logistics of that one would be. You know, mind-boggling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, yeah, it's kind of fun to think about from a, a, you know, fiction writing perspective. But, you know, the, the older I get, the less patient I get with, um, you know, science denialism in mm-hmm. the pagan community. And the more I just want people to to, to, to be able to appreciate the awesomeness of what is, you know, yeah, a caterpillar doesn't like, you know, go through this amazingly dramatic shape change at the full moon and come out, you know, a hyper aggressive blood drinking butterfly or something, um, you know, in a span of like a few seconds, but it's still really amazing to, to think about the whole DNA soup thing you know, where this being completely rearranges its body without even really trying. It's just programmed into the DNA that it does that at a particular point. 
and there are certain species um, up uh, you know in the northern latitudes where where um, they have to have a certain amount of mass, I believe, uh, and certain amount of body fat before they can um, do that change. So that caterpillar in the short amount of time, you know, short, the, the short summertime up there, if they don't get enough food, they end up going into hibernation for the entire winter and they try again next year. And you can have a caterpillar that's a couple of decades old before it finally turns into that butterfly simply because that DNA programming says there has to be a, a minimum threshold of resources available to it mm-hmm. before it can do that change. And I think that's just amazing. You know, and people want to talk about energy work. Look at photosynthesis. Those, all those plants out there, they are turning sunshine into food. The food yep. that we eat, the energy that we consume through our food, whether that's animal, plant, or fungus, that all started as sunshine. And if that's not magic, I don't know what the hell is, honestly. Um, the collapse of a bolus. The collapse of a bolus? Okay, so you get, you get the egg and the sperm, they get together... They, oh, yeah. they kind of blah, 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 and then at some point they collapse, and that's what makes a multicellular organism that can become a vertebrate. Got Nobody it, got knows it. Okay, why it collapses. Nobody knows why it collapses. It's awesome. I love that kind of thing. But the thing is, we can see that it does, mm-hmm. and you know, and per, per, that's, that's a perfect example, though. You know, we can, it's okay for us to say we don't know how it works. We don't have to say, you know the egg and the sperm create a special sort of, you know, nature magic that, you know, culminates in the uh, spirit of the being to be uh, pushing its way into the, you know, the bolus and causing it to collapse through its entry. And, and, you know, we can make up all kinds of stuff about that. Oh, come on. It's a uterus fairy that goes around, pokes each one. Uh huh. But seriously, we need we need to be okay with the I don't knows. Mhm. And we need to be okay with the I don't know yet. And we need to be okay with the maybe we're wrongs. You know. Yeah. We don't have to. I, I I gave up trying to prove that totems and other spirits exist years ago. You know, for all I know. All the stuff that's in my spiritual path is all going on in my head and nowhere else. And maybe I'm trading ideas with other people, but that doesn't make it any more objectively real. We're just creating a story together. And I am totally okay with the possibility that that's all that's going on. Because if it still has a positive effect on my life, then that's good enough for me. I don't need to have my beliefs, like, verified um, in order for them to be valid to me. So, you know, I think a lot of this is because, again, as I get older, I tend to be focused more on this world because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. 
and, you know, assuming I have an average lifespan of, what, 72 to 75 years, maybe a little longer because I'm female, you know, who knows. Let's, let's say that I managed to avoid, you know, getting hit by buses and, and things like that. Um, I'm 37 now. And in the last few years, especially as I hit my mid-30s, I've kind of become more aware of my own, you know, limited lifespan. And, you know, the fact that it's no longer the world that will be left to me, it is my world. You know, I am looking at the next generation after mine coming of age and realizing, you know, there's, I have a limited span of time in which to try to leave this world a better place than I found it. And so I'm not really interested in anymore in doing that much in the way of, of journeying to the spirit world. I'm not that interested in um, trying to prove that there's an afterlife, things of that nature. I'm really caught up in trying to create pathways for people to reconnect with this world so that they, A, become better people, and B, um make the world itself better so that then the next generation has something better to work with and the next generation after that. So I, I just, I, I just don't have as much patience with the ephemeral and the ethereal and all that. I'm, I'm really rooted in the here and now and it just becomes more important to me the older I get. Yeah. Well, and you know, the thing is, I, I think that knowing what your particular path in life is, you know, that's great. I love the fact that you know that. I wish more mm -hmm. people knew what their path was. And I'm perfectly happy with people having different paths. Um, what, I, what I have a really big problem with is people who think that, um, you know, I, I personally have a huge connection with the spirit world. But mm -hmm. to me, this life is about living this life. If the spirit world can make that a better life, great. If it's going to interfere with this life, screw it. Mm -hmm. That's because we are here and now and we are living this life and, and this is the life we have to live. This is why we are here. We are here to live this life. Mm -hmm. Everything else should be secondary or a, a an accessory or something that enhances what we're doing here, but it should not mm -hmm. take over. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Everybody should have their, their, their own path, whether it's bringing in messages from the spirit world to help enhance other people's lives, whether it's, you know, showing people the right path, whether it's making the best damn lasagna on this side of the, the Atlantic. I don't care. Just do it. Love lasagna. I want the path of lasagna. I know, right? Wouldn't that be great? Lasagna. Is that related at all to the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster? Possibly. No, but I finally figured out where where I I heard that from. It was um, it was Fallen. You remember that movie about the demons with Denzel Washington? Vaguely, I don't think I actually ever saw it. Well, there, there's this 
there's this scene where he's talking to his partner and his partner's like, we all have this one path and, and you know, his wife's past is lasagna. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. All of a sudden, an aspect of my life has crystallized into movie form. <laughs> hey, if you make an amazing lasagna that inspires world peace, I am so about that. Uh, you know, I'm just shooting for a good food gasm every once in a while. Because are people mm-hmm. not better when they have a food gasm? Oh yeah, no, I I am definitely with you on that. So anyway, yeah, yeah I just like I said, I, I that and that really kind of does come back to the whole nature spirituality from the ground up thing. Um, I, I kind of see my books as being a little bit subversive in that manner because. I kind of feel like I'm I'm dangling out this, you know, pretty shiny thing for people who want to be spiritually empowered because that that's the language that comes up a lot when when people are talking about animal totems and other sorts of nature spirits. They, they want to be empowered and they want to be uh they want to, you know, harness the creative nature, you know, creative powers of nature and the, it just, it, it, again, it gets really, it gets really self-serving. Um, mm-hmm. And so I kind of dangle this whole, you know, pretty book of, you know, it's got this, this, you know, woman standing, you know, in this big, beautiful old tree and, you know, it looks very, you know, inviting and, and shiny and friendly. And that's, that's what I want it to be. It's probably one of the best covers I've gotten actually for my books. Um, really happy with that one. And, yeah, there's there's some stuff on, you know, how to make yourself a better person by working with these beings. But there's a lot of stuff on just making those connections with the world around you. Um, sort of your standard totemism book starts with a very brief introduction to historical forms of totemism, indigenous forms of totemism, et cetera, et cetera, you know. And then goes into, you know, a quick little thing about what is a totem and how do I find my totem? And maybe there'll be a, med- a meditation. And then, um, you know, maybe there'll be a couple more exercises. And then most of it is dictionary. Most of it is this animal means this, that animal means that. You know, here's all the secrets to nature. If your totem is this, then it means you're this kind of person. You know, congratulations, you now have a label to stick on yourself. And none of my books do that. And this one in particular, I think, like I said, it kind of lures people in with that whole thing of, you know, oh, totems? Oh, cool. I want to I wanna be able to work with totems. I want to know what my totem is. And I, I kind of hopefully leave them with this sense of not just a desire to connect with, you know, something other than themselves, but also a greater sense of responsibility toward um, the rest of the planet and in a very personal manner. You know, I don't tell people, oh, you have to be vegan and you have to tithe, you know, 10% 10% of your income to environmental groups, et cetera. You know, it's, it's not prescriptive like that, but it's, it's encouraging people to have that uh, sense of connection and 
again, mutual responsibility. So that's, that's sort of been my uh, enjoyment of um, uh, kind of working with people because I've been able to expand their perspectives a lot in that regard, especially when I'm doing in-person workshops. Um, sometimes they have no idea what to expect. Sometimes they're expecting one thing and get something else, but they, they generally come out pretty happy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's something that, that people often forget is, you know, we're talking about accessing either information or, you know, even in some cases, intuitions or, or, or the such that a lot of people may not be aware of. And it's like becoming a superhero. And with great power comes great responsibility. We don't get to, to do this just to, you know, jerk off and, and talk about how awesome our own lives are. We we interact with nature. We have to support nature. We interact with animals and plants and, and you know, the, the nature that's around us. We become responsible for that. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't want to be a superhero. No, wait, that sucks. Hmm. <laughs> Careful, Sarah, what you asked for. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that's that been a running gag in my life for so long is I don't want to do that. No, you're going to do that. No, I don't want to. I know what the price is for that. No, you're still going to do that. Damn it. Mm-hmm. Been there, done that a few times. Um, I like how you have the book laid out that we've been talking about. Um, mm -hmm. You don't really talk about totems, at least from the uh, chapter titles, until the third chapter. Uh, your first chapter is the importance of reconnecting with nature, followed by the second chapter, the basics of bioregionalism. And when we've had you on before, we talked about what bioregionalism is. Uh, and I will be perfectly honest, my brain's not functioning well enough to remember that far back. That was how many years ago? <laughs> A while. <laughs> yeah. But it's not until chapter three that you introduce the totems themselves, and then you go from there, which I think is a really interesting way of doing it because you're you're laying down the groundwork so that mm -hmm. the reader will understand what the intention was in writing the book before they even get to finding out about the totems. Mhm, mm and that's a really important um that's a really important thing to 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 note um and it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with the whole, you know, I'm not just going to tell you all the answers. I'm actually going to make you work for it. Um, again, I, I kind of mentioned earlier that whole concept of, you know, disembodied animal spirits floating over our heads. And that I kind of get the sense that that's how a lot of people view uh, totems and other spirits, that they're just, you know, kind of waiting around for us to pay attention to them. And the problem is that, it takes them out of context. You know, they, they, they have their own ecosystem parallel to our own. And, um, you know, they, they exist in conjunction with each other. You know, they interact with each other in the same way that 
animals and plants and fungi and so forth interact in their own habitats. And so what I try to get people to understand is that totems are not just our helper beings. Um, they're, they're beings in their own right, and they, you know, their primary concern is taking care of their physical counterparts. You know, they, you know, it benefits them to work with people who are listening because humans right now are the most destructive species on the planet. And if they can get us to be less destructive, then it behooves them. And that's why a lot of my work also has a very strongly environmental bent um, because I want people to, you know, again, not just take from nature, but also give back to it. And so, yeah, that's the reason that you don't get into the totems themselves until the third chapter, because that first chapter is just saying, why is it so important that we reconnect to nature? Why am I starting with this as opposed to going right into the totems? Um, and it does lay that groundwork. And then I go into the bioregion uh, element of it because we're not just connecting to whatever totem happens by. We're connecting to the totems of the land that we live on, the totems of the ecosystems we're part of. And that's kind of an unusual way to think about things. Um, yeah, a lot of people do work with the totems of animals and plants and so forth that live near them because it's easier to make their acquaintance, but we don't always really think of them in, in terms of a bioregion. You know, people can kind of list off their totems, but, you know, have you, ever, have you ever thought about the relationship between your totems? You know, why, what's their connection to each other, if any? And what's their connection to the land that you live on? And how, what can they teach you about the land that you live you know, yeah, some of it's about working with the totems, but a lot more of it is about um, the land itself. And that's, what, that's really what it's all about. You know, it's, it's learning about the land through the totems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, early on in my career, if you will, as a pagan, I don't know where that term comes from exactly, but it, it, it wound up their career. Um, I developed an affinity for animals that I had never seen in person outside of a zoo mm-hmm. or outside of television. Um, and part of that affinity is that I have some personal characteristics and mannerisms or what have you that people associate with those animals or that I associate with them at least, uh, the dolphin and the hyena. I mean, one of the things with the dolphin and Sarah can attest to this thing. God, my voice has changed enough over the years that I don't sound like this anymore. But when I would start laughing, it sounded like a dolphin. Hmm. But that's really nothing to do with my actual affinity for the dolphin. Um, Sarah, you've been in my home. You can attest to this. I probably have like 50 dolphins throughout my house, my apartment. Yeah, you're not addicted. People give them to me. I so rarely buy them. (laughs) But to me, they're a beautiful creature, and some of their characteristics I would love to incorporate into my life. They're not necessarily now what I would consider to be a totem for myself. They're, uh, the idea that I developed about the dolphin 
is something that I've always been fond of. You know, graceful, intelligent, playful, um, uh, protective at times uh, animals. Mm -hmm. And then you have the hyena, which really the only thing that hangs out in my personality of the hyena is that as long as I'm not going to be hurting somebody or something, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I need, want, or Mm -hmm. somebody else needs or wants. And Mm -hmm. to me, that's some of the characteristics of a hyena. It could Mm -hmm. also be said to be the characteristics of a coyote or something like that, but I'm not that much of a trickster. Mm -hmm. Well, if you think, (laughs) yeah. If you think about that though, those are all us projecting our biases onto those animals because coyotes mm-hmm. really aren't more trickstery than a lot of other animals in the same ecological niche. They're a carnivore, but they're a smaller sized carnivore compared to the really big apex predators. So they're kind of mashed in the middle of all this mess. They're having to be smarter so that they can, you know, steal bits of kills from bigger animals as well as catch their own small prey. Um, And that means they have to be crafty about it Um, with your, you know, with your hyenas. um, I mean, have you, have you done much research on the relationship between, I I guess more the animosity between uh, hyenas and lions, spotted hyenas in particular? No, not really. I'll be honest with you on that. They are, it's it's almost um, it's almost unusually aggressive. Um, it's really common for two different species of large predators to be very antagonistic toward each other um, because they you know they they're competing for the same large prey animals. Um, but it seems to be particularly pronounced or at least noticed by humans. Uh, in spotted hyenas and African lions. And what happens is, you know, there's this this image of hyenas as being the skulking scavengers that steal kills from other animals and, you know, the brave, bold lions who are the, the, you know, the hunters and rulers of the savanna and so forth. And in actuality, um, lions are actually kind of bullies. Um, They frequently will chase uh, hyenas off their kills. Hyenas are some of the more successful hunters in Africa. Um, They have really good uh, group dynamics, and um, they're they're, they're very effective at what they do. And um, in a lot of cases, it's the lion that's the, the, you know, stealing scavenger, and the hyenas have done the hard work. And so, um, you know, all, all animals are basically doing what they have to do to survive. And some of them will hurt each other in order to make it happen. And I think that's a good lesson for us to remember um, because we do have the ability to consider, you know, the, the effects of our actions on others. But it's also a really good reminder that we tend to project our biases onto these other animals uh, sometimes at their at – their, uh, at their peril. Um, part of the reason that gray wolves have been exterminated from so much of their range is because um, 
Well, they, they a they they again uh, occupy a very similar ecological niche to humans, um, and b uh, they ended up being sort of the scapegoat for a lot of our frustration when we switched over to um, agriculture, and our our you know our our livestock would get stolen by wild animals because you know they're easy they're easy targets, and the wolf just kind of became the prototypical you know evil wild animal that screws everything up for the humans, and so there's just this level of animosity that some people today still have towards wolves that they don't have towards, you know, bears or mountain lions or anything like that. Um, and so that's a, that's an example of where our biases were really harmful. On the other hand, uh, the wolf has become sort of the poster child of a lot of wildlife groups and they've done a lot of work to change their, uh, reputation over the last few decades and that's kind of helped with the reintroduction uh, efforts it's helped with you know the habitat preservation and laws like the endangered species act that help protect the animals and their habitats and so i think we really have to be careful both with totemism and our relationships with animals in general to really be aware of the animals on their own terms. And I think that's really where it comes back to that whole thing of scientific literacy. So much of the destruction that we create on this planet is due to a lack of scientific literacy. And that includes, um, you know, things that we sometimes justify with spirituality. You know, man shall have dominion over the earth. I, I remember hearing that as a kid in, in, Catholic Church, you know, and that supposedly justifies us being able to do whatever we want to the planet. So, anyway, end rant. You know, it's amazing too how how often that particular Bible quote is misquoted. Mm-hmm. Because it's actually man shall be steward over the earth, not not dominion, not ownership, be caretaker. Damn it, Christian, mm-hmm. you failed again. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, I was listening to everything, but I was putting it into the voices of uh, Shanzi and Banzai. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and trying not to laugh idiotically like Ed whenever I would hear the voices. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, and yeah, there you go. That's your uh, that's your your lion hyena bias in uh, in action is uh, you know your uh, Lion King. Twenty mm-hmm. years later, we're still you know dealing with the fallout. The hyenas were totally screwed in that movie. Mm-hmm. They were like the coolest characters. They mm-hmm. were. And oh, they had so much personality. They did. <sighs> anyway. Uh, as we digress again, right? Uh-huh. But, hey, aggressive yeah, think, color is mighty boring. You know, when I first came on the show, I was, like, all prepared to be, like, you know, professional author and speaker and, and interview subject and and 
at this point, you know, four or five interviews in, I think, like I said, I think we've just kind of gotten into a, a you know, BS session. And I'm totally okay mm-hmm. with that. Hey, that's kind of what we try to do. It's, you know, it's like two, three, four, five, however many people we have on the line, friends sitting around the table and uh, talking and, you know, drinking whatever it is that they drink at this time of day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, How many just trying years to have some fun with uh, it'll be uh, seven years in five weeks. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we think we're insane most of the time for doing it, but hey, we enjoy it nonetheless, right, Sarah? Did you say five years? No, I no, said it'll said be seven, seven years. years in okay. five weeks. Okay. Seven, yes, yes. I'm like yeah, you trying to are, figure out how old my children are. <laughs> you guys have some of the uh some of the the I think it's one of the longest existing podcasts, pagan podcasts. I know Pagans Tonight has been on longer than us, but I don't know for sure about any of the other shows. Yeah, cuz a lot of them have popped up more recently, especially especially since Blog Talk Radio became like a big thing. Um, mm. you know, and they've, they've kind of come and gone, but, uh, you know, yeah, they're just, you know, you, that's a pretty respectable record. So again, congratulations and kudos and, you know, thanks for being here and thanks for being a reasonable, sane and informed voice or voices, I guess. Um, yeah, y'all done good. No, no. She called us sane. She called us reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna ruin your reputations here. <laughs> hey, uh, I've well, I've we... met I've met one I've met one of you in person now and didn't go running in the other direction. So you know, hopefully that's some kind of an endorsement. Hmm. That means she must have met you, Sarah. <laughs> hmm. I don't get it. Stormy says people like me. I don't get it. Well, you obviously weren't a crazy axe murderer, or if you were, I wasn't your target. So you know, <laughs> that 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 gets you brownie points. Yay, brownie points! <sighs> and speaking of brownies, I should probably eat something resembling dinner now. Mm-hmm. That well, might be an idea. Could you give us a quick update before you go on Tarot of Bones? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so where we are right now, I am currently working on the layout of the companion book, um, which is always exciting because I'm basically doing my book layout in Microsoft Word, which was not originally intended to be a layout tool. However, um, especially with some of the newer versions, you can actually do some pretty cool stuff. Just don't expect there to be you know, a lot of bells and whistles. Um, so yeah, I'm working on that. Uh, the photos of the assemblage pieces are still in post-production. Um, the photographer who, uh, took the pictures is still working on them. So that I'm kind of in the sit and wait patiently mode. Um, and, uh, we had a really nicely successful, uh, second Indiegogo campaign, uh, this spring raised $5,800 exactly. 
um, before Indiegogo and PayPal took their respective uh, percentages. Um, so that's basically gone into the pot for uh, helping defray printing costs and so forth. Um, I was also able to pay my editor, who I hired to edit the Tarot of Bones book because I did not want it to be a jumbled mess of words. Um, pro tip, if you're, if you're self-publishing something bigger than like a little booklet, it's a good idea to hire an editor. And uh, yeah, so that's basically there. what's going on with the deck and the book. Um, I've been picking at the uh, deerskin pouches that um, were some of the perks for uh, the two Indiegogo campaigns. So I've got deer skin and I've been sewing and, you know, figuring out. It, it's kind of hard to make the pouch the right size when I don't know entirely what size the uh, deck is going to be because I still haven't done the deck layout. But I, I, I can guess. And if it ends up being a little too big, that's totally okay because that means then that you can put other stuff in the pouch with your deck. And, you know, that's a little bit of a bonus. So that's basically where I am with that. Um, I'm trying to juggle that with a bunch of other projects and, uh, of course, the whole day-to-day -day existing and paying bills and, you know, the kind of stuff that you need if you're going to be, you know, a glamorous writer and artist and professional creative. You know, we got to eat sometimes. Food is important, and speaking of, we should probably let you go so you can go find some food. I uh, did want to thank you uh, very sincerely for uh, joining us again for like your fifth visit, uh, and congratulations on Nature Spirituality from the Ground Up and on the successful campaigns for the Tarot of Bones. Looking forward to its completion. Thank you. Are. I am too. <laughs> and I'm sorry oh, I wasn't able to go to Heartland. Yeah, well, I'm I'm planning. You know, I was guest I was a guest of honor this year, so you know, had help getting out there and and you know, covering food and so forth. Uh, but I had such a good time that I'm actually trying really really hard to figure out how to get back out there next year uh, on my own dime. Um, because um, you know, the Northwest has a lot of neat little festivals, um, but we just don't have the, you know, uh, the large enough population to get something like, you know, hundreds and hundreds or up to a thousand people into a festival space at one time. And it's, it's, it's just a little, it's different when there's more people involved because you can get, make more happen. So, I, I love our stuff that happens here in the Northwest, but I've really missed the, the bigger sort of Midwest uh, festival scene. So um, Heartland is a really um, – I've, I've really enjoyed the energy of it, and I know a lot of people there, and it's just a few hours away from, uh, you know, my hometown so I can work on a visit there and so forth. So, yeah, my, my plan is basically – next year to try and get out there on my own and uh, get to see everybody again and, and so forth. So yeah, really, really enjoyed myself and uh, you know, maybe next year.
Maybe next year the ah. three of us can do a live show or something. Hey, or at least a, a, a face-to-face recorded show, yeah. It uh, mm-hmm. could be a lot of fun. And barring promotion or another remodel, which would probably involve a promotion as well. I should be there. That's why I wasn't there this year was a remodel, and last year was a promotion. Uh, you'd think I'd be able to take a vacation. I just got promoted. No, I huh. literally just got promoted before Heartland. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it's like, can't take the position and then go on vacation. That looks bad. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, but uh, looking forward to that opportunity, looking forward to uh, talking with you again in the near future. And again, want to thank you for joining us. Sarah, do you have any final comments? Um, Lupa, you have to make it next year. Or Stormy's going to have an aneurysm with doing that, that <laughs> ritual thing alone. Mm-hmm. Just saying. No, I, I, I will keep you guys posted. And if you guys want to make sure that I not only – and I'm talking to you listeners out there. Uh, if if our wonderful listeners want to uh, make sure that I get to do things like eat and occasionally travel to an event outside of, you know, driving distance, which I don't really get to do very often, um, thanks to my budget. Uh, if you want to help me make these things happen, um, you can go to my website, which is thegreenwolf.com. Not Green Wolf, but thegreenwolf.com. You can find out information on my artwork and my books. You can buy things that I've created. Uh, I have a Patreon account, uh, patreon.com slash lupagreenwolf. And if you want to be my artistic patron and get a nifty package of things sent to you every month and get to see behind-the-scenes pictures and news and other stuff that nobody else gets to see, um, you can be my patron there uh, for as little as a dollar a month. And, um, yeah, I think those, those are the two good starting points. I think thegreenwolf.com is the, the best place to find out about most things Lupa. And if you have questions, my email's on there. I love talking shop. And if there's anything I can help you with, please feel free to let me know. Woohoo. Great. We didn't even have to prompt for that this time, Sarah. <laughs> I I'm a pro. Themselves. I'm totally a oh. pro. <laughs> by the way, by the way, Lupa, you have email. Oh, cool! I will check that when yeah. I am done here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and since we were just talking about festivals and all that, as we let you go, I think we should probably uh, do our little ad that we have here for the Beyond the Gates event in your neck of the woods, actually. Nestled amongst white mountains and stone circles, Columbia Grove ADF welcomes you to join us in the summer sun at Beyond the Gates. Standing at the shadow of Mount Adams, White Mountain Druid Sanctuary in Trout Lake, Washington, will be home to a weekend of rituals, workshops, communion, and fellowship. With guests of honor, Phaedra Bonowitz and Reverend Kirk Thomas, Archdruid Emeritus, you can camp under the stars or bunk amongst Buddhist statuary. All are welcome here. For more information, visit ColumbiaADF.org or BeyondTheGates.BrownPaperTickets.com. All right, Sarah. That was another great visit with Lupa. Always good to have her on the show. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I, I honestly don't know if it, if this was her fifth visit or if it's been more, because I think we had a couple of uh, short little spots with her on some other shows that we've done, and you know, along yeah. with the full length shows, it, it is so hard to keep track. <laughs> yeah, when you've been doing it as long as we have. Yeah, and after about the third or fourth time, it's like, yeah, you've been on here a lot. We, <laughs> we don't know anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes I make an effort before the show to look up how many times a guest has been with us, uh, or at least how long it's been since their last visit. But uh just didn't happen today. With everything that's been going on today, it's been hard mm-hmm. to focus a whole lot of our attention on things, and we will probably – not probably, we will be talking about some of today's events on uh, uh, Pagan Weekly News this coming Thursday, 10 p.m. Central. Uh, and, uh, yeah, not that we really want to have to talk about it, but we probably should, mm. at least to some, some extent or another. But um, we also have a few more shows in the works as well as uh, – um, you know, negotiations going on for other guests and what have you. So next weekend, which is the 19th at 7 o'clock Central Time, the Nathaniel Johnstone Band will be joining us to talk about their new release, Mother Matrix. Uh, Nathaniel has been on the show before. His uh, partner in life, Tempest, has also been on the show, and she may be joining us. And we may also have a visit with uh, the female vocalist from the band, Dogwood. So looking forward to that as well. Um, And then on the 26th, to wrap up the month of June, Ken Day will be joining us to talk about post-tribal shamanism. And uh, as I said, sir, I need to make sure I send you at least links to his articles so you know what we're talking about. Uh, And even though I plan on being out of state, I will be here for the show. Unless something major drastic happens, which I'm not anticipating anytime soon. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, be, be doing the podcast from the basement of my high priestess's home. That should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, uh, we've got some stuff going on in July and August. Uh, we've got you know some shows scheduled out into July, but nothing set in stone between now and the end of summer. So, Anything could happen, uh, including perhaps a uh, panel discussion on piracy. Yeah. Yep. I'm looking That's... at you and Lupa's messages popping up in the lower right corner of my screen, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> hey, cool. All right. They're plotting yeah. and planning things already, and I'm not even there. <laughs> Well, actually, that that's one of the things that I've been kind of tossing around since I've gotten back from Heartland is uh, running into people and being, hey, it's been a while since we've done a piracy episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seems to be kind of a yearly tradition for us, so why not? Well, unfortunately, piracy and plagiarism comes up in the pagan community on a semi-regular basis, just like the whole transgender exclusion issue with certain old guard members of the community seems to come up on a regular basis right now. So there's some recurring themes year to year that we, we just need to talk about them again and share what we think about it. 
and mm-hmm. get uh, some of our guests on to share what they think about the topics. Uh, I know that the uh, newest episode of Pagan FM with Deidre Hebert uh, talks about what happened today in Florida, uh, mm-hmm. in part, and um, at least makes reference to uh, what I posted to Facebook, <clears throat> which was included in a longer article that I posted today at PaganActivist.com. There we go, shameless plug. <laughs> we got to get our own in there once in a while, right? Yep. But uh, yeah, we're we're going to be holding off most of that until Thursday night because uh, you know it's still a developing story. We don't have near enough facts to know exactly what happened, other than something really, really terrible and horrifying happened. Yep. And speaking for myself, yeah. at least. My uh, my heart and my prayers go out to the victims and the families and friends and the survivors. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, you were going to say? Um, well, uh, yes, we're going to be talking about that. And as for shameless plugs before we get to the music, because I think we're, yeah, we're getting pretty close to time. Mm-hmm. Um I've been posting on my author blog all day excerpts and short stories. So uh, that's author goddess at blogspot.com. Or, yeah, author, author goddess.blogspot.com. Right? Yeah, I think I got that right there. <laughs> just put in author goddess, you'll find me some way. I don't know. Follow me on Facebook. Yeah, follow her on Facebook. You'll find the blog from there. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's been a fun evening, which we needed. A uh, rather informative conversation, again, which we needed after uh, everything else. And the heat, my goodness. I kn- <sighs> it makes everything so exhausting. And just like you have no energy to deal with anything anymore. I've been guzzling mm-hmm. ice water and iced tea and iced coffee, and as long as it has ice, I don't really care what is in my cup. Ew. It's usually iced tea or iced water. <laughs> yeah, and here I was happy to have my coffee maker back at work for hot coffee. <laughs> but I'm crazy. I, I need to have my hot coffee in the morning. It doesn't really matter what the weather but that's neither yeah. here nor there. Um, what should we do for our uh, outro music? Should we do something nature-based, or should we do something from Nathaniel Johnstone, since that's who we're going to uh, have next week? Actually, I'm sitting here staring at a artist that I don't really recognize, although I'm pretty sure I should, and a song that sounds pretty intriguing. It's uh, Queen of the Nine Flowers, Blodgywood, by Lori Lynn. You don't recognize Lori Lynn? We had her on early this year. I know, and my brain is completely... Look, I have, I have like, denatured proteins going on in my brain. That's how hot it is. <laughs> oh, you, you like that little bit of size right there? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we had Lori Lynn on in, I believe it was February or early March, talking about her 2015 release, Motherland, and also talking a little bit about Caldera Fest because she was one of the musicians there. That's right. Okay, so I like that. That's what I want. That works for me. If you've got it there on your screen, you can go ahead and hit play. I want to thank everybody for listening and thank Lupa for joining us once again. Um, you know, Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all that fun stuff. You know where you can find us. Just look us up. Google us. We're there, <laughs> which is kind of scary we'll to think. There. We're there. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're sitting there on your computer screen waving maniacally at you like, over here, over here. But Whoa, uh, I think so, it's time for so, that. So, you're scaring people. Don't <laughs> scare away the nice people. <laughs> if we haven't done that in nearly seven years, <laughs> there's no up, hope right? for them. Uh, no, we love you all, and thank you for listening. And thank you, Sarah, for being a part of this merry mess. Uh, what else would I do on a Sunday night? Sleep? Gaming. The answer is gaming. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Or, Push or binge play. watching CSI. That didn't mean what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. Good night. Queen of nine flowers.